At Onken, we've been looking at John's Gospel for the past well, 18 months at least. And we this morning we actually did this chapter. So we are now two-thirds of the way through. We've still got quite a long way in this Gospel. And it's a tremendous Gospel, isn't it? Beautiful Gospel. John starts this Gospel with an incredible declaration. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He wants us to know that the person he's writing about is God. And when we get verse 1, the rest of the Gospel makes sense. If you don't get verse 1, if you take verse 1 out of context, well, you might as well forget about the rest of the Gospel. Because you won't understand it. As for us, I mean, it's the first time I've ever gone through the whole gospel. I mean, I've read it many, many times and I've had to throw myself deep into this gospel. And as I've seen it, I'm thinking, oh my life, not only is it in chapter one, it's basically the whole gospel that Jesus is God. John is, he's got his, his signpost up and he's pointing all the way. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And if you can't see it, then you really have to be blind. And in this gospel, the first 12 chapters in this gospel, I've been looking at the ministry of Jesus. His whole ministry. So for 12 chapters we look at this, but then you get, then we get to chapters 13, 14, 15, 16 and 17, and it all focuses on one night. Just one night in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The night of the Passover meal. The night he was betrayed. Five chapters out of 21. I believe John deliberately wanted to spend as much time on this, on, on this evening, on the mess, on the words that Jesus had taught. It doesn't focus on the, the Last Supper as the other Gospels do. He focuses on the last words Jesus said before he died. And in chapter 13, this is what he says. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he, would, that he should depart out of, the, out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He was going to show them the full extent of his love. And no greater way could he show them than him laying his life down for each and every one of them. Being nailed upon a cross and lifted high. What greater love is there ever been? And this was the reason that he was, this moment was, was being. He was revealing himself and showing who why should I say why he had come? But be, during this period, in these last few chapters, Jesus drops three bombshells. It's shockers to his to his disciples. In, in chapter thirteen, verse twenty-one, Jesus said, "Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall." Betray me. These men have been with Jesus for the past few years. They have 
been with him. They have eaten with him. They have lived with him. They have ministered with him. They loved him. Could you imagine if somebody said to you, one of you in this church is going to betray you? You would be looking around and going, who? Who could do such a thing? Who would do that? I wouldn't want to blame anybody here. Who could think, who could even possibly do that? But this wasn't just anybody we're talking about. This was Jesus. One of you is going to betray me. They looked at each other thinking, what? This is impossible. How is that remotely possible? They were perplexed. And even when Judas, full of this, full of Satan, leaves the room, they still haven't figured it out. They're still confused. Now the second, the second bombshell comes a little bit later when Jesus says to Peter in, in verse 38, verily, 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 I say unto you, the cock shall not crow till you, thou hast denied me thrice. What? What? No wonder Peter responds in, in chap, Matthew chapter 26 verse 35 by saying, Thou, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. I will never do this, Lord. I would never, ever. And of course, just within just, just a few hours, it's exactly what he would do. Three times. Be mortified. But Jesus had already given another bombshell. He had dropped in another bombshell. And that was that he said, he had said he was going to leave them in verse 33. I'm going to leave you. And then Peter, just before he's been told he's going to betray him, he says, whither thou hast go? Where are you going, Jesus? And then verse 37, he says, Lord, why can't I follow thee now? He is shocked. And they all are. Their jaws are dropped. What is Jesus talking about? Why would he leave us in the midst right now of all times? They don't get it. Jesus is just about to give his life for each of these men. In just a few hours he'll be nailed to a cross. But you know, they are confused. And Jesus says to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In 14 verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. When you believe in God, in other words, if you believe in God, you can believe in me also. You can put your trust in me also. Even though they make it about themselves, Jesus shows them his love, his care, his compassion for these men, that he loves each and every one of them. So we come to verse 15 from the reading that we've had today. And Jesus starts by saying these words, If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. Do you know, he's not saying it as if, you know what, if you, you know what, really? You can prove it. Prove you love me. Do as I say. 
No. This is, you know what, we need to love him. Jesus has given commands, not just the Ten Commandments as we think of, but he has given his commandments to them in other things in his teaching. And he tells us to love them. You know, if we go to, in, in John 14, verse, sorry, John 15, verses 4 to 5, he said to him, abide in me as I abide in you. In John, in Matthew 4, 17, he tells us to repent. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, honour God's law. In John 3, 5 to 7, he tells us to be born again. In Matthew 28, 19 to 20, he says, make disciples and baptise them. And in John 13, 34 to 35, he says, we are to love one another. And these are not, these, there are way more than these commandments. Way more than these laws. Way more than these teachings that he gives to us. And he says, if you love me, keep my commands. And in, in verse 23, he almost repeats himself. He says, if you love me, so if a man love me, he will keep my words or my teachings. We should do these things. I remember I was in America many years ago and I was staying with a pastor and his family and the TV was on and they were just flicking over the channels and then suddenly these Christians came on to this channel sitting down and they were arguing with each other. I don't remember what they were arguing about, but they were arguing. And the pastor said to me, every single day this happens. Every day this is on TV. People will be arguing. Christians will be arguing with each other. Absolutely horrendous. How can they love one another? How can they reveal God's love? They're not keeping his commands. But he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Let's reverse that. If you don't love me, so if you don't keep my commands, you don't love me. It's as simple as that. And Esau only will say these words as well. But talking to us as Christians, we need to keep his commands if we love him. We'll obey him. We will do as he says. Why? To be a witness for Christ. To reveal his kingdom. What good is it if we're arguing over stupid things that aren't important? Even though this world is a mess, we need to be different. The problem is, how can we love our neighbour when they annoy us? How can we love other Christians when, let's be honest with you, they really sometimes do get up our noses? How can we do that when we fall short of God's kingdom? Romans 3.23 How can we do this? And Jesus continues in verses 16 and the beginning of 17. And I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. I will pray the Father, the Father, and He will give you another comforter. He will give you the Holy Spirit. That He may abide with you, what? For how long? Forever. He's not going to leave you. And He's not going to expect you 
or I'm not going to expect you to do these things that I'm asking you in your own strength. Let's be honest. Keeping the laws of God are not easy. Look at the look at the laws in the Old Testament. They're not easy. Nobody could keep them apart from Jesus. And he didn't expect us to keep what he had told us on our own strength neither. But the Holy Spirit would be with us. Even the Spirit of truth in a world of where nobody understands truth. Where my truth is different from your truth. How does that even make sense? How does that make sense? That my truth is different from your truth. But that doesn't mean we both don't have truth. That doesn't make any sense. But God's goodness, God's mercy, God's grace, God's word is truth. And the Spirit will reveal it to us and to others. Notice it says that it will send another comforter. Another comforter. Another in Greek is alos. Alos. Probably pronounced that wrong, but there you go. And alos means another of the same kind. Another. I will send another of the same kind as myself. This is what Jesus is saying, basically. Another of the same kind as myself. In other words, this comforter is the same as Jesus. In other words, he is also God. And I'm going to send him to you. The third person in the Trinity. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 20. He says, no, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. He said, I won't leave you. The the Spirit won't leave you. And I will be with you to the end of the world. When a loved one dies, people often say, they never really leave. They're always with you. They're in your heart. Memories. Although that can give comfort to people, we all know that a loved one, when they go, do leave us. They do go. They're not here with us. Yes, we have our memories and we have the love that we had for them, but they're no longer here. But when what God, what Jesus was saying, I'm leaving you, but you're not going to be left. I will still be with you, literally in spirit because of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to have to do all of this on your own. You'll be I will be there with you always. What encouraging words that is. Now we don't have to face this world on our own strength. Could you imagine it? Go and tell other people about me, but I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to support you. You know, you have to admire people of different faiths like Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have God as a comforter, as a guide. They do it all in their own strength. You have to admire them. But we have the Holy Spirit to give us the words we need. And verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. 
In some translations it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I like that. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you abandoned. I will not leave you wandering around lost. I will come to you. What a blessing that is. And he doesn't just go, sorry guys, it's up to you now. In verse 19, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me because I live. You shall also, you shall live also. You know, I believe that what Jesus is saying here, and I may be wrong, but please forgive me if I am. But you know what I believe he's telling us now that he's going to be leaving this world soon. I'm leaving this world. I'm going to be nailed upon a cross. And those that hate me, the Pharisees, the priests and other people that hate me, they think that's it. Over and done with. We've got rid of our problem. But actually, we know that wasn't the end when Jesus was died, was killed. We know that he was not finished with when he was nailed upon the cross because we know that he was resurrected a few days later and he's still alive today. In fact, here in 2024, he's even amongst us right now. Alive. And even though we don't see him with our eyes, we believe in our hearts. And so yes, we do see him. Not physically, but spiritually. But the words the world say, what are you talking about? He's gone. He's dead, he's buried, he's finished. You're nuts. They even don't believe in him anymore. They don't believe he's real. Even though there's plenty of proof to prove that he was. They hadn't They'd seen Jesus with their eyes. They'd seen Jesus nailed on the cross. They'd seen Jesus die. They'd seen him put in a tomb. How could he be alive? But the disciples would realise that actually he had to die to give them life. To give them new life. And Jesus had said, says to them in verse 20, at that day, You shall know that I am in the Father and ye in me and I in you. What day? The day when the Spirit comes upon you. When the Comforter comes. You will know that I am in the Father and ye in me and I in you. Jesus had told them that this was the case. This would happen. They would know. Earlier on in chapter 14. And again, they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? But now he's saying, you will know that day. The Holy Spirit will open your eyes and you will see and you will get it that I am in the Father. And you are in me and I am in you. We are one together. And I will be with you always. You won't question it, you won't doubt it, you will know it without, without any doubt. And again he says, he that my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. 
And he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. The Holy Spirit will come to help us to keep the commands of Christ. Think about that. The Holy Spirit is coming us to help us keep the commands. But wait a minute. Who had given the commands? Jesus. Who is Jesus? God. Who's going to help us to keep them? The Holy Spirit. Who just happens to also be God. So let's get this, let's get this straight. God gives us an impossible task. But instead of us leaving us alone, he sends the Holy Spirit, who is God, to help us keep those things, to obey his word. Why? Because of his great love for us. It is all God. We don't do any of it on our own strength. We cannot do it on our own strength. We would fail, each and every one of us. And if some of the hardest people to, to love are other Christians. I'm sure you've come across this. But with Christ's help, or with the Holy Spirit's help, he gives us the grace to love them. It is all, all, all God. Everything about our lives is dedicated to God. How great, amazing is this? But Judas saith unto him, in verse 22, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Judas, this Judas, sometimes we'd probably mostly would know him as Thaddeus, wants to know why Jesus seems to be prejudiced. Why Jesus? Why just us? Why just us, Jesus? That nobody else can see you. Or we revealed unto you. Now his question I believe is very similar to, to the world's understanding. He, don't forget he's also confused. I don't think he's belittling Jesus. He's just confused. But why not everyone Jesus? Why not everyone? And Jesus answered him and said. If a man love, if, if a man love me. He will keep my words. He will keep them. And the Father will love him. And we will come unto him. And make our abode with him. He that loveth me not. Keepeth not my sayings. The world doesn't understand God. So they love him not. Do you know sometimes they might say we believe in him. We go to church. We pray. We even read the Bible. But they don't obey him. They don't obey Christ. They don't keep his laws. They don't follow what he's caught, laid down. And therefore, they don't know him. They're not his friends. They're not his. In Matthew, sorry, in John 14 verse 15, he says this, Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. You are my friends. 
God causes his friends if we do what he tells us. But again, if we reverse that, we are not his friends. If we don't do what he commands, and if we don't do what he commands, we are not his children. We are not Christians. We are disobedient to God. If we don't love our neighbour, if we don't love, if we don't abide in him, if we don't repent, or any of the other things that Jesus has told us, we are not his friends and we are not Christians. We are not saved. And that's a hard thing because, it, you know, hopefully it'll kick us, push us. Because, Lord, I am one of your children. Then maybe what you need to do is that if that's you, then you maybe you need to repent and say, Lord, help me to get right with you. Help me to be obedient to you, even if I struggle to keep some of these laws. Remember, the Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit will give us the strength. And verses 25 to 26 says, These things have I spoken unto you, being ye present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. In modern English, everything I've said, he will remind you. The Holy Spirit will remind you. Everything I said. The other disciples, not just Judas, were still confused about all of this. But in just a few weeks, I was talking, I think I mentioned this this morning, I think I sent to Daniel this morning, Peter, Peter, my possibly illiterate Peter, would stand up on the day of Pentecost and be quoting scripture. He will he will quote from the book of Joel. He will quote from Psalm 16. And point all of these things to Christ. And the reason that they're preaching the gospel. I just wonder what the other disciples thought when they saw him. When they heard him. Knowing Peter. Knowing that he had, dis- he had denied Jesus just a few weeks before. Knowing he'd done these things. Peter. And I'm standing there with their jaws dropped, speaking to all them, saying, Peter, I can't believe it, Peter. I'm sure they would have totally agreed with everything he said because the spirit was upon them. But wow, why did he know about Joel? Why did he know about this psalm? How did he know? Because he obviously, the Lord had shared these verses or he'd heard them these verses somewhere before. And it came to mind at the right moment. How often do we say, I'm not going to tell others about Jesus because I'm not very good. I'm not going to share the gospel with others because my, I'm, 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 I've got a bad memory. We've got one or two people in Onkin, trust me, they come up with this excuse quite regularly. He doesn't say you, you won't remember, you know, you need to remember anything. If you ask Sharon, she'll tell you, I have got a terrible memory. A terrible memory. She can ask me to do something and within minutes of her telling me, I have forgotten what she has said. 
But Jesus isn't talking about how memories in everyday life. He's, he's talking about when we trust him, the Holy Spirit will speak through us. And lead us into, and, and guide us and give us the words to say, we have no excuse. We have no excuse. When Glenn goes on the doors, he probably doesn't know what the Dickens is going to say when he knocks on a door. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't know what he's going to say. Because the Holy Spirit is way before Glenn. He knows exactly what's going to be said. He knows what exactly the person's going to say to, to them. And the scriptures that come to mind when, the, when, the, when it's given, when it, when it needs, is given by the Holy Spirit. It's not just because we've memorised them. I'm sure Peter never thought he would ever do anything like this on the day of Pentecost. But what a joy it was. To, it, would have, it would have been, should I say, to hear him preach a man that had been scared just a few, just a few weeks before, but now standing up boldly and about 3,000 added to the church that day. What a joy. What an absolute joy to have heard him preaching these words. And in verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The world doesn't understand the peace of God at all. It can't grasp it. It doesn't, it, it just doesn't fit into their mold. They think peace is just about laying weapons down. Yeah, many years ago there was a, there was a competition for artists from all over the world to paint a painting that represents peace. There were many paintings done from some of the, to- the world's top artists. When it came down to two, two paintings, the final two, one of them was beautiful scenery with grass and trees and a beautiful sky, clear sky, maybe the odd whisper spoke, uh, smoke, whisper clouds, but that's about it. But there were rabbits running across the lawn, a few birds in trees and flying in the sky. It's something that you and I would probably love to have on our wall. Beautiful peace. But the second, the second was completely different. The second was of a storm. The rains were pouring, the winds were blowing, the skies were black, and the sea that was there was crashing against rocks. How could this be peace? Well, in the corner of the painting, there was a, there was a branch. On the branch, there was a, a nest. On the, in the nest, there was a bird with the wings stretched out. And her chicks were safely under her wings from this terrible weather. Those, the peace wasn't the storm. It was the, the bird was giving to her babies, protecting them. Jesus gives us peace during the storm. When the weapons are being fired, not when they've just been laid down. Yes, that's great. We, we all want that. But we have peace, join it. 
Peace when everything else is crazy. Peace in confusion. It dissolves fear. And it also maintains, sorry, it also rules and hearts of God's people to maintain harmony. Colossians 3, 15. The peace that God gives is different from the peace the world could ever understand. The peace that Christ gives stills our troubled breast. We've almost finished, but we come to 28 and it says, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto, unto you, if you love me, Ye would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father, for ye, for my Father is greater than I. This isn't me. What I'm going to say now, this is actually stolen from a commentary. It's actually written by John MacArthur. But listen to what he says. Jesus was not admitting inferiority to the Father, but was saying that if the disciples loved him, they would not be reluctant to let him go to the Father because he was returning to the realm where he belonged and to the full glory he gave up. He was going back to share equal glory with the Father that would be greater than what he had experienced in his incarnation. He will be in no way inferior in that glory because his humiliation was over. And the disciples who were didn't want to let Jesus go, he's saying, let me go back to the Father. You should be rejoicing. You should be happy that I'm going back to the Father. You should be rejoyful. 29, and now I have told you before it came to pass that when it is come, you might believe. The Holy Spirit would remind them of what Jesus had said. Then they would know who exactly Jesus was. Exactly. Not just any man. This Messiah was even more than that. He was God's son. He was the son of God. And the last two verses. Hereafter I will not talk much more with you. For the prince of this world cometh. And hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father give me commandment. Even so I do. Arise. Let us go hence. Jesus starts talking about the prince of the world that's coming. Trust me, this confused me. What? Why is Jesus saying this here? What's he talking about? That makes sense. Please, I looked in commentaries and I couldn't find the answer. But what I'm about to say... As I read this, is my interpretation. Now, if you say to me, Steve, that's not what it's saying, please, I am more than happy to, 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 to take it. But this is what I believe. I believe he's saying he's actually coming. He's on his way. I'm about to be crucified. And Satan is coming back. Remember, Judas, he'd entered Judas. He's coming back. Because he wants me out of the way. But. 
The prince of the world cometh and hath nothing in me. Otherwise, he has nothing on me. I'm not scared. I'm not bothered. I'm not upset about this. Why? Because of this. But that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Because the Father wanted Jesus to lay his life down. Wanted to, to, him to, to lay his life down for the sin of the world. He wanted him to, to lay his life down, to be killed on a cross. One of the most horrific forms of execution. And Jesus freely gave it because he's loved the Father. Not because the, the enemy was coming. Not because the Pharisees wanted it. Because the Father had told him. And he was obedient to his Father. So that we, you and I, could be set free. And notice he says this, just the last thing, I just didn't even notice it earlier. But he says, I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments. Do you notice? He loves his Father and obeys his Father. This is Jesus. If we love God, if we love Jesus, and we want to follow Jesus, then we have to be, we have to obey him too. Even if we don't know what we're going to be doing, and our hearts are beating fast, we obey him. Because Jesus obeyed to death, even death on a cross. An horrific form of execution. He has not left us on our own. He's not left us up to our own devices. He has left us the Holy Spirit and strengthen us. To guide us. To comfort us. To speak through us. Or should I say to teach us. Our responsibility is just to obey. Let us pray. Father, forgive us when we don't obey you. When we are ignorant. When we try and do things in our own strength. Or we run away. Because we we have fear in our hearts. Father, help us to be obedient children. Lord, if we love you, we will obey your commands. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you, God, that you've been amongst us. And Father, thank you that you've ministered to us. Father God, we pray now as we leave this place that you will go before us, each and every one, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.